Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Simon Podcast. I hope you had a wonderful week. I am just getting off a vacation Bible school week, and also this is my last week to hopefully turn in my paper, my good 20 to 25-page paper, um, which apparently um, the syllabus and what's on the website says two different things, so we'll see what happens. But uh, with that being said... Um, I am joined today with my co-host, Micah Current. Micah, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, it's funny you should say that. I'm in, I'm in my third semester or third sprint course of the summer. And not to compare uh, pages or anything, but I'm writing my final paper for that course. And I'm up to like, I think last time I checked yesterday, it was 32 or 33 pages. <laughs> so I feel the pain uh, in reference to writing I've written all summer. I think I've written more pages and papers this summer than I have the entire year that I was in grad school last year. Mm. Um, I was going to ask you, are you, does VVS fall under your purview because of being the family yes. ministry pastor or family life director or yep. director so of family ministries or yeah. children's family pastor? I don't know what your exact title is. <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, yeah, that falls under my jurisdiction. So I'm the one who has to pick the curriculum, get volunteers, assign assignments, do all that we had a we have this uh church management software that you can set up a kiosk with which we've been using it for our sunday mornings to check people into uh, sunday school and it works really well you know no issues but man instead of setting it for like a general thing and setting it for an event thing that thing is a hot mess Mm -hmm. like we got done with vbs i was on my computer at home with all my paper documents, re-inputting information to make sure things worked because some things weren't printing out correctly, some things were acting weird. It was, it was an absolute nightmare. So, so do you? Uh, see, so did you see you pick curriculum or do you write curriculum for it? Or so I know we're gonna I know we're gonna do an episode on VBS probably in the next couple of weeks. But like, are, do you write the curriculum or do so you this year? Curriculum? So this year because I was going to be gone doing youth stuff with a missions trip and a convention got back and now I'm doing VBS. We just got curriculum. But one of the last VBSs I did when I was in Virginia, we wrote our own curriculum. I felt like we had a good town of people that we could do it and do it well. And I ended up writing a superhero curriculum uh, with a team of people. And it was probably one of our biggest vacation Bible schools that church has ever had. Hmm. Like as far as attendance, I've been, uh, I've talked to Jordan, who's been on our show before, but like the, the idea of doing a sermon series on the infinity stones mm. and relating each stone to scripture or relating each stone to a passage or a story in the Bible. Um, I think there would be some, some good stuff in that. That would be a good curriculum. Well, Jordan also, I think Jordan likes that type of, that thing that Jordan's wheelhouse, because when we wrote the, um, phase one, phase two, uh, student Bible study stuff that we wrote, or actually I, I started it and then he ended up taking it so he could use it as a graduation project from OCU. But, <laughs> but, um, he tied the, uh, guardian, the first guardians of the galaxy moon, uh, movie and each character represented a love language. Hmm. So he did it that way too. So I think that's his wheelhouse. Like, Oh, Six Infinity Stones, we'll just use the, the, that as a model, or eh, we'll use this as a model. So, good stuff. So, uh, 
Before we dive into our topic today, stories gone wild. Well, you set that up like it was going to be the this big uh, revealing thing. And, big revealing um, thing. Or you? I was waiting for you to jump on and go, man, I have the best stories gone wild ever. Well, did you say that yours was going to be related to like tech and things like that and things going wrong? Well, that's, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that because, or just talk about just tech going wrong in general, because that's always been an issue, especially when there's big events, there's always seems to be something tech issues. Work. Yeah. That's going to be mine. <laughs> well, I was going to build off of that. That's why I said that. Um, okay. I, mm, being a, a, a director, a church director for like technology and video and stuff, there's always stuff that goes wrong. Um, I was working at a church a couple of years ago. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a bad joke, right? So I was working at a church a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, I was part of my responsibilities were, were to uh, film and edit and produce video announcements and online church intros and outros and put together our online church services. And this is like in 2020 when the pandemic was going on and uh, things were going crazy. We didn't know how many people come to church. And so like there was a lot of pressure on me to put the content together for online church. Now I'd only been in this, uh, this role for a couple of weeks. And so um, I was in a hustle to get um, somebody to record our video announcements for, for online church and for uh, the venue. Uh, we tried to, to mirror our services as closely as possible. So like what you saw online was what you saw in person and, and, and the announcements uh, kind of, mirrored each other but there were subtle differences like hey welcome to online church and um you know if you want to be in a life group here's how you can participate online if you want to connect connect online all these things so anyway i um got together i think with our youth pastor that week and recorded the video announcements now scott you know with video um production like with your background and some of that stuff that uh when you record typically you record the audio separately from the video, mm-hmm. right? So like the video, when you record with the video camera, you can, you can record video or I'm sorry, audio with that video, but it's going to sound very yeah. roomy and airy mm-hmm. and not good. Right. And so when you record with a good microphone into like a, an interface or uh, into a sound system or something uh, into a digital audio workstation, you're going to get good and better audio. And you can go in there and actually tweak the audio and make it sound better. And then, combine the two together, the video and the audio. So uh, the youth pastor and I recorded late Friday afternoon and I got home and I found out that the microphone didn't work. The audio didn't record. And so like I'm panicked because, you know, Sunday's coming. And so I did the best I could, but the audio sounded horrible. It sounded like he was yelling in a hallway. Mm. It was like he was in a well. Um, I know it's not a super story has gone wild, but like, I remember just being panicked because the worship leader came up and yelled at me and my boss came up and yelled at me. And it was like, I, I can't, I can't fix it. I mean, there's nothing I can do at this point to fix it. And they wanted to can the announcements. I'm like, well, we already recorded them and we already produced them. So yeah. Um, always double check to make sure that your audio record, your audio recorded and recorded well, and that you saved it before you go home to produce it. Because at the time, I was working at a church that was about 45 minutes away from where I lived. So it was 
it's quite the chore to get down to the church. And then, you know, I didn't want to ask the guy to come back and record, <laughs> record again, because it was, you know, we didn't have time. It was the weekend. So yeah, there you have it. That's one from the vault. Yeah. So, yeah. So Sunday, yesterday, we, the, I was talking to the tech guy and it was like, goodness, everything that could go wrong went wrong. So first there was an issue with the streaming software for some reason. And it wasn't necessarily the software or anything. It was just the computer was acting up. So it's like, okay, so they're trying to fix it. Finally, they're able to get it fixed. But then there's times where sounds, the sound kept cutting out. And we were actually talking because we were looking at possibly changing our presentation software because we have ProPresenter. You're going to change from ProPresenter? I don't think so. But we've been having issues. But we have. But here's the thing. They have the oldest version of ProPresenter on there. They don't have the newest version. Which is they have version six, I think they're on version oh, seven. Yeah, that would make sense. So, well, things like you know, and like literally our um, our office manager, the only thing they they do is get this. Uh, if there's a new song that's not in a database, you go on the pro presenter, you can pull that stuff off song select, and it's in there and it's fine. She can't even pull stuff off song select. And then there's times where I'm going in there, and there's sometimes where I'm like, well, I it says I should be able to do this with this video, but why is it not? It's not doing what I want it to do. It so there's like stuff like supported that. Anymore. So it was stuff like that where I'm like, okay, this is weird. Like, so our tech guy's like, well, pro presenters like is the industry standard. So going with anyone else is probably going to be a heavy downgrade. And you won't be able to do all the stuff that you would want to do in the future. So he kind of was like very blunt and saying, no, let's not change pro presenter. Um, but maybe it might be good just to update it and see if that fixes a lot of the issues that we're having, which, okay, you know, you need to update software. You know, there's a reason for it. But Sunday, there was stuff wrong with microphones, and he couldn't understand, like, why. Apparently, we have this really nice, like, expensive, like, wireless system that the church paid years ago, paid, like, almost twenty five grand for. Oh my and we're not even utilizing it. Plus, because the way the church is and how old it is and how it's all stone bricks, like it's in this one room up in the second floor, but all your worship space is on the first floor. And even though there's like a antenna so you could connect to everything for all the wireless stuff, it doesn't really work well. Right. So it's just like, so and sometimes it works well, but other times, like even with BBS, I'm talking on the mic and... I could sound good, but then sometimes my voice would be very loud or be very soft. I'm thinking, okay, maybe the batteries are dying or they're getting low. No, it's a signal issue. And every just, time... Is this just online or is it in person too? This is... Oh, VBS is just in person, but... No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Oh, like, it's both online and in person. Like your audio issues, are they happening online and in person? That's what I was yeah. asking. So there's that. And then it just seemed like everything that... like Like last week, the worship leader was gone. My buddy came in and we played led worship and everything sounded good everything sounded clean plus we're having a guy coming in this week that's going to soundproof our contemporary worship center because it still sounds like the noise the sound waves keep bouncing off a lot so we have a pretty good system to kind of negate that but like my son's whispering in the corner and i can hear him like he's yelling because it's just <laughs> that bad it's like oh gosh so 
needless to say, we get to VBS and we have the sound, some sound issues, but then we also have some video issues and, you know, we have this video play. And so the, so we're about to close and I only have like 10 minutes to close everything out just to get, do some closing announcements, do the memory verse and do like our main theme song. We barely, we didn't even do the main theme song. I was trying to get through announcements. And then it's like, okay, let's do the memory verse. And the guy in the back, like, the computer's acting up. I can't even shut it down, but I can't even move slides somewhere. It's like, even he's holding the power button to shut the thing down. It's not even working. Like, he's like, I don't know what's going on with this thing. <laughs> so it was just a mess. Like, and I'm sure if you're a tech person in churches, you understand how. Things could go wrong at the most inappropriate times. And sure enough, that was the whole day. From morning worship to VBS, everything went wrong. And at least the kid at least I was able to entertain the kids a little bit because of my uh entertainment quality. But well, let's leave it at that. Um the the same church that I referenced in my stories going wild, Scott, there uh the pastor very much modeled the Andy Stanley like PowerPoint slideshow kind of thing where like he would say the word of God is active and God will be highlighted in yellow and all the text to be white. And you know what I mean? Like how Andy Stanley does his mm-hmm. and he teaches from a big flat screen TV on the stage. And he, uh, he very much models that. So like there was, uh, you know, a couple of times where the computer would just crash per presenter would just completely crash. And he'd be in the middle of a sermon, like, there's a room full of 800 people. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I can't, I like, first of all, I always blame myself. My wife always has to remind me. It's like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's computers. Yeah. But like I've, I've worked for pastors though, Scott, where they've been super upset about that. And I'm like, well, I can't control the computer. <laughs> so uh, in your case, you know, VBS, like you can't, I mean, there's no, you know, rhyme or reason why things happen, but it's just, tech stuff like it's great when it works <laughs> when you have no issues but when when you do it's uh man it's stressful in the moment yeah absolutely all right so as we get into our main story uh last week uh jim lines who's the general director of the church of god did a town hall and for those of you who are listening who are like what the heck's a town hall Basically, it's just the Church of God way of trying to communicate questions that were either sent to the Church of God, or at least in this case, questions that were not able to get answered during the General Assembly a few a few weeks back during um, in Tampa. So Jim decided to get online and to try to read as many questions. He says we'll probably do a couple because he even admit that he's very long-winded, which I thought was funny. But <laughs> but uh, needless to say, um, there's a couple of interesting questions, and it kind of goes back to um, some things earlier when he was doing the Church of God Affirm stuff when they talked a little bit about, you know, the national office and everything else. And he kind of gave a little bit of insight to kind of the, I guess, either the organization or the power of the national office, which the consensus seems to be there's not much. It's more of a glorified title, but there's really not much power because all the power comes from uh, local pastors and at least one lay representative from each church getting together for general assembly to 
make their voices heard and to vote on things. And that's pretty much where the power is. So uh, in this town hall, Jim went through seven questions and we're just going to go ahead and go through um, as many of them. Some of them we're going to combine because some of them are very, the answer's pretty similar. So the first question, I'll do questions one and question three because they're very, the answer to that was very similar. Uh, the first question that he starts off with was, how many churches are without a lead pastor? And then the third question was, how many church plants in the Church of God was there last year? Jim's response to both of these questions were, we don't know. Simple, we don't know. Um, so Micah, what are your thoughts about that? We don't know how many past, how many vacancies there are. We don't know how many church plants in the Church of God there are. So, so to quote the great Cody Rhodes, so what do you want to talk about? Um, <laughs> or LA Knight? Yeah. Um, Goodness. It, it's, first of all, do you buy that, that the national offices don't know that stuff? You know what? There would have been a time where I'm like, I don't buy that, but I'm at the point now where I probably do. I mean, I really do because I. And think do you think about, that? This, do you think that's because there's a communication breakdown between state and national? I think, I think the way everything's set up, you have national and you have state, and I feel like sometimes the state because they're the ones who are really engaged, or I guess maybe using that word politely are engaged with the local churches that the national office is not privy to. Then I think that's kind of your, I would say that there probably is miscommunication. I mean, before, before um, leadership focus, the whole ordination process was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then, you know, with some visionaries like Jeanette Flynn, who kind of set up that, that kind of smoothed everything out. But even when that whole thing was pitched and presented, there was a lot of people, um, state pastors, people who are, um, like in Ohio, we have five different regions within one state. So even just kind of the, like, leaders within the Northeast Ohio, uh, Southwest Ohio, like upset because they're like, well, how can we build relationships with these new? How can we, we won't see these people. We won't be able to have any, like, you know, there's all this stuff because it's almost like you're doing something national office saying, Hey, we're going to streamline this and make this a very beautiful package and make it very not easy, but make it less headachey of a process for someone to get ordained. If we say someone can get ordained in a year because they're already going to seminary, then let's make sure if they're doing what they need to do and we're asking them to do, then they get done in a year and not be like me who, okay, I have a year. Oh, I moved down to central now. And then they lose my file. And then it takes me five years to finally get my ordination after I was promised a year. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's ridiculous. Um, so, so I wouldn't be surprised that the national office is not getting any privy information about church plants or vacant pastors or anything else, mainly because, um, if the national office was to enforce that and say, hey, you guys need to give us this stuff, I'm sure there'd be some state pastors or some people who would have an issue with it. Why? Because 
because Anderson's going to try to be controlling. That you know, that's always the big thing. It's like we don't want Big Brother to control us, and yet we want Big Brother to save us when there's problems because we know that the state's not going to do anything, or at least depending on what state you're in, sometimes the state may not do anything to help out your local church or to help you out in some ways. But we'll call on you when we need help. But other than that, if you want to try to say, hey, we're going to put some groundworks down that's going to actually be a benefit for you. No, you're 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 encroaching on our power. And I think that's really what it comes down to. I mean, I, whether intentionally or unintentionally, it's like, well, are we giving too much power to the national office? So we don't want to do that. I mean, I don't know. Same thing with the so, whole conditional deeding thing and everything else like that. Anderson had all that. Now it's back to the States or actually Anderson had it. They sent it back to the churches and if the churches wanted to do it, they had to do it through the state because Anderson wasn't going to keep all the conditional. wasn't going to condition all the deeds anymore. Are you done with your rant now? Yes, I am. <laughs> you got crowd, kind of fired up there. For I did. Um, you have every right to, though. I think you should. Um, I just a couple of things. So one, I I understand the structure that's set up, and I think we've talked about it before. But we have in the Church of God Anderson, we have national offices, state offices, and district offices. So if I'm a pastor within the Church of God Anderson, I first report to my district and and for me in the case in the context of the conversation i live in southwest ohio so i would report to the southwest ohio district pastor credentialing committee uh district whatever assembly whatever state state of ohio esther control is our state pastor demetrius booker is our associate state pastor there's mm-hmm. a state team caught or is it kogo Church of God, yeah. Church of God, uh, Church of God, Ohio Ministries, right? Mm-hmm. So, if I have an issue with the district, I go to the state, and then if I go to the the state and it doesn't work out, you know, I'm calling Anderson, right? Um, I secondly, I think it's it's super bizarre. Um, in the last year, two years, three years, when I anytime I've had to call Anderson about something it seems like they don't know. They just don't know the answer to, to the question that I'm trying to ask. And and that could be just a variety of things, Scott. Like we talked about, we've talked about our, uh, our issues with Minister Connector uh, and Atlas, for example. And when you go online and you click the, the, the button to pay, it doesn't even work. And so you have to call Anderson to pay your, your yearly license. Or I clicked to paid and it said it went through, but I never got a receipt in my email. Okay. So that <laughs> so um, did I pay? Did it go through? I don't know. <laughs> and you know, when we recently had our convention in in Tampa, I called to register, um, you know, to to attend virtually because I, there was just no way that I was going to be able to make it to Florida. And so um, I just had some struggles there. And so I I'm I'm kind of. I guess confused is a word for it that comes to mind because like I I was I was in um, Oklahoma City when they had the Church of God Convention when Jim Lyon first took the mantle of general director 
Mm-hmm. And Jim t- Jim formed this huge team, basically a cabinet like a president would form, of folks that would handle uh, finances of the Church of God, uh, the Church of God uh, nationally, the Church of God internationally, the Church of God in Canada and South America. Like he broke it down and he had all these people that were going to handle these specific areas so that he being Jim didn't have to do it all alone. Yeah. Going back to the conversation about church planning, the number of churches, um, and number of pastors that are or pastors that are vacant in North America right now, um, it's kind of startling and stunning that he doesn't know those numbers. Mm-hmm. And as somebody like, I'm not saying he has to do something about it, but like for me, I would, I would want to know those numbers. I would want to know where we're at. Yeah. Um, especially for a church and I'm in context here, I'm saying the church, the church of God, right? The whole denomination, denomination, mm-hmm. movement, whatever you want to call it. The context of, you know, they, they're really avid about planning churches, Scott. They're like you and I've had this conversation offline about other, you know, I think Ohio has been really, uh, um, adamant about planning churches over the last 10, 15 years. And not, well, in my opinion, that we're not really fixing the ones that are broken. And so like, it's like, let's plant new ones and not fix the ones that are broken. And so that's a whole separate conversation for a whole nother podcast. And I don't want to get on a rant about it, but mm-hmm. it's like the, the, your, your two biggest things, right? Like who runs your churches? Pastors. Uh, what, what are you about as the church of God? Well, one of the big things is planning churches and making new churches, right? Making disciples, making new churches, making planning new churches. And you don't know those statistics. Mm-hmm. That's, that's uh, it's a little concerning. I mean, I'm well, like, I'm not, and, I'm not mad about, about it, but, it, but I, I was just, I'm surprised he doesn't know is what I'm saying. Well, and think about this. Okay. My dad, and this is going to sound really bad. So, <laughs> so if you're a church of God person, if you're a church of God pastor, you're probably going to get offended with what I say. So years ago, and I'll, I'll years ago when there was debate, if they were going to close down the year round program for Camp Marengo and they were going to shut everything down after it had struggled and it fought and it got to a point where really, if you looked at the numbers and actually looked at the legit numbers, what the camp was actually bringing in. If they would have waited one more year, the camp would have been self-sufficient. Like, I mean, the director was doing great as far as getting, and that was, and there's a, there's a lot of messiness with it and there's a lot of politics with it. So I really don't want to get into that because then I'll get really heated. But during the uh, general assembly, the Ohio general assembly, when they were going to vote on this, you know, those up in Ohio Ministries said that John wasn't allowed to say anything about the camp. Like, he wasn't allowed to say anything or do a defense or anything or give his side of the story. Like, nothing. He couldn't say anything. So, really, John was just talking to people, you know, as he has a booth set up. He's just talking to people. And people kept saying, oh, John, what's happening is so bad. We're, we're not going to tolerate this. We're going to fight for it. We're going to, you know, we're going to make sure blah, 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 blah. And he's telling my dad this, and my dad goes, and my dad uh, literally just tells John, John, most pastors in the church of God are sheep. They're always going to do what the shepherd tells them to do. So my dad told that advice to John. 
And John's getting his getting encouraged, thinking, oh, my dad's an idiot because everyone's saying they're going to do, they're going to fight for it. Well, the vote comes thing, everything passes. They shut down the camp. And my dad and John calls my dad and says, You're right. They're sheep. And see, that's the thing that I think bothers me because if the national office was to say, hey, states, regions, especially those who you're a regional pastor of five different states, you know, um, we want to see your data. We want to see your data of how many vacancies you have at your church. We also want to see your data of how many church plants you're doing, if that's a big thing. And let's just say, for example, Ohio, that goes through an Ohio Ministries gives all that information to the Church of God. And someone from the Church of God is looking at all this information and saying, okay, what's going on that over the past couple of years, you've had very few church plants, but you've had a huge tumbling of churches closing their doors in the state of Ohio. You have a huge vacancies of, you have a huge bunch of vacancies in your state that are not being filled. And yet we keep seeing there's a bunch of ordination candidates, at least from what we're able to see through leadership focus, that there's people who live in Ohio that are going through the process. Why are they not going to these churches? So there's an accountability. That's what I'm getting at. There's an accountability. Now, someone has to answer that. Now, does that mean that Anderson has the right to say, okay, state director, you're you're not living up to what you're saying you're going to do. So we're going to, because there's no power in that. But if it ever went to the state and the state and someone at the state was so like a regular pastor in the state of Ohio was asked that question. I'm sure there'd be some people who would sneer and they would just vote and they would just keep everything going and just kind of turn a blind eye to everything because no one wants to sit in a meeting all day and debate things or ask questions or ask challenging questions about stuff. Mm-hmm. And at least well, I feel like the way things have changed over the years, at least it seemed like if there's any questions you wanted to ask just to speed up, because the business meeting portion could be three hours, four hours. So it's like, if you have any questions, you need to submit them to us and we will address them. And it's like, well, then who chooses which questions asked? If there's ones like, ooh, we really don't want to answer that question. Well, we're not even going to address it. I mean, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm looking at the bad side of things and I, and I don't mean to be that way, but I, I think believe, it's fair. I, I think it's fair to ask those questions, Scott. It, I mean, it is. And I think that's, and I think that's the thing because when you are in positions of power, anytime when you have somebody who wants to challenge it, either you ignore it, or if you have someone who does have authority, like Church of God Anderson, who has authority over you, you want to complain and say no you're gonna to have too much power and, and you know it's everything's about having a church vote or having a congregational vote so we don't want you know big brother or big sister kind of getting their nose in our business but at the same time if there is a need if you're looking at stuff and, you, and i mean if church of god anderson had all that data and they said hey we notice in nebraska we're having no, there's no church planning initiative here. And we're seeing an alarming rate of Church of God churches closing their doors. 
then maybe national can do something and contact the state director saying, hey, what's going on? We're noticing this trend. And then the pastor says, hey, I'm, I just feel like I don't know what to do. I really don't have a background in church planning, so I don't know where to begin. And then Anderson said, okay, you know what? We have some funds. Why don't we send a team? Why don't we send some people to you? We're going to train you. We're going to do, and we're going to try to get a church planning initiative started in your state. And then you have that funds and you have that experience, uh, experience people coming to you to help train you and any other pastors in that state to be able to kickstart some healthy Church of God church plants. So there is a benefit, and that's the thing that my, you know, anytime I talk about things with my UMC pastor, she says, you know, as much as people always want to gripe and complain about having a bigger denomination and all the power and how sometimes the little guy doesn't have all this power or whatnot, the good thing is, is that because of it, we do have a safety net. So in face of anything happens, we could always ask for funds. They'll always give it to us to kind of help help us. There's always something. Sometimes our apportionments does go that we or our tithe that we give to, you know, that we give to the mothership, you know, there are some benefits for that. We get health insurance, we get this, we get that, we 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 get free, we get free church consulting. We get a free data printout of the demographics so we kind of know the changes in our demographics and who we need to reach out for. Like there was always a lot of benefits that came from it. And right now, the only benefit, I mentioned this before when we talked about the rise in cost of pastors and churches, like really the only benefit we get for paying our pastoral registration or even the church doing theirs is that you're under the Church of God umbrella, which means you're under their 501c3. And that's it. Which, yeah. I had which, a conversation. That's it. Like, which e- really easily a church can just say, we don't want to affiliate with you. We will do all the paperwork to get our own 501c3 and they could go that route and then they don't have to pay anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I had a conversation with Jeanette Flynn about that. And because I work full time at Miami University, um, I'm an ordained pastor. You know, all my taxes and stuff like that those are all under Miami. Like I, I get paid as an independent contractor for some of the jobs I do for churches, but like, I don't, I'm not employed by church. God ministry. So I don't really have to worry about that. So like, technically if I didn't pay my whatever, nothing would happen. Uh, yeah. I want to go back to the, the kind of the conversation you said about, or the point that you made about the accountability of state leadership. Um, it kind of sounded like you, so like, I want to make sure they understand this, but like, you know, there's a separation of national and state, right? And there's like, well, the states are going to do this and the national is going to do this. And, but if in the states, you know, you're having these issues within your state, you know, you don't know the numbers, you don't know the number of churches that are planted. You don't know that uh, the number of churches that are sitting without pastors right now, what are the states doing about that? How are they working with, uh, you know, the local church to make it better in this circumstance, um, these circumstances. But the, I guess the question that I have, Scott, is, so what happens? Um, is there just no accountability for state pastors then? I guess it's my question. Like, so if things so... are going south and the church isn't doing well in the state and there's a, a number of churches that are not uh, being filled, their pulpits aren't being filled with pastors right now, and then you have little to no movement in the church plant world, 
or you're planning churches that are just flopping because they just can't get any traction because there's no funding from the state. What kind of accountability does the state pastor then have? Well, I think, I think it goes, I think it's twofold and I think it depends. And I think it varies by state by state. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're the regional, I mean, if you're the regional pastor that oversees like Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, all that. Yeah. And you have like a couple of states under your belt. You, you're, you're, I guess the accountability and I would say even judgment, whether just or unjust judgment that comes your way is going to look different than if you are a full-time state pastor as compared to a full-time regional pastor as opposed to a part-time state pastor. There's always going to be difference with that. So usually you have like a executive team or something that's going to kind of be your, your, almost like your sounding board that's going to like check everything. And then you have your local church, your local pastor congregations. Um, But I feel like when you have, I don't know, like the way I saw things happen in Ohio ministries when I was there before I moved to Virginia versus what I saw in Virginia, the way those two things operated were completely different. Ohio ministries made a change and everyone voted on it that Mm -hmm. to kind of make the meeting shorter and not last for four hours. And then you have your final afternoon worship service with whoever guest speaker that they hired and do your ordination ceremony. People wouldn't be getting out of, if you stay for the whole thing, you wouldn't be leaving until 10, 11 o'clock at night. Some days. So let's make it shorter so you guys don't have to be here till midnight. Okay, yeah, let's do that. However, because you now have eliminated certain things like any reports, you don't you used to have people who go up and give verbal reports of everything. They eliminated that, which is a good thing. You can read the report, and then if anyone has any questions about it, you can bring it up. But even that, like, even if you have questions about something, you have to read your report online, submit your questions online. And if it's something that needs to be addressed, we'll have someone address it. But if it's something where people are like, hey, we're not going to address this question, there's no, I mean, who decides what questions get answered and what questions don't get answered? And at the same time, just like what, what Trey said when they talked about General Assembly, like you're sitting there and you're having, they're talking about everything, what you're voting for, they talk about it. And then they make a couple amendments because there's communication and then people have a question, well, what about this? Oh, we didn't see that. Let's talk it through. Let's work it out. And then you finally made to a vote. So there's a system of talking things out, trying to get things. And especially on a national level, if there's any big thing that they think will trickle down to the state and the local churches, that's a big thing. So you have to have that thing. Where in Virginia, yeah, everybody fills out the report. But anytime where there's any things going on, like they'll read everything and if people have questions, they do. And we debate and we talk. And again, Virginia's, we have a part-time director and we only have less than 50 churches, church guy churches. So you don't have over 200 or 150 or whatever, wherever the Ohio churches are right now of different pastors and lay people. So if it's 150, potentially you got 300 people and they're asking questions about something. And then as you're up there, you have to kind of negate You have to delegate. Okay, that's a very good question. This is just someone ranting. Okay, let's wrap it up. Because sometimes that was one thing at the last GI went to. Like if someone had a question, you know, they're very clear. Make your point and don't get long-winded. We're not preaching. We want to know what your point is so we can kind of get through this meeting. And it's like, 
And sometimes, you know, when someone starts getting there, you know, somebody up on the mic's like, okay, what's your point? Like they would interrupt them to say, what's your point? Because you're starting to get into preaching mode. You know, mm-hmm. when you start saying, well, when I was a kid, like, no, what's your point? Like, we don't want to know that, which is good. But at the same time, you have to realize that there has to be some accountability. And I think sometimes depending on how each state is structured, there may be a time where there may not be any accountability or the accountability is the people who sit on the executive board. And if they're a bunch of yes people who are like, yes, 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 or, or, hey, we noticed this. Oh, here's the reason why. Oh, okay. And then that's it. And they don't say anything more. Then to potentially you could have somebody who may at one time been a good fit. And all of a sudden, because culture has changed, the whole ministry things have changed, ministry tactics have changed, leadership styles have changed, that that person who's in that leadership position, whether at the national or the state or region, may not be the best fit for that time. So how do you, in a way, say, hey, you did great work. However, we're starting to notice that things are slipping and it could just be due to they're dealing with some personal stuff and someone really needs to call it out for them to realize and say, you know what, I'm dealing with the personal stuff. I'm going through a divorce. You know, my, my parents are sick and I'm now the primary caregiver of them. I just can't do this anymore. And someone needs to say, it's okay. There's no shame in walking away to take care of yourself and to take care of your family. But as pastors, but as pastors, since our identity is so caught up in our position sometimes, and that's the only thing that matters sometimes. It's hard for someone who's a state director who may be going through a bunch to give up that thing because that their whole identity is wrapped in that. And when they no longer have that thing, then who are they? Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other podcast we could talk about. But I think there's a lot going into it. So I think having an accountability from the national office saying, hey, what's your numbers? How many vacancies you have? How many? Because I think in some ways that's going to help them understand what's happening in each state. And then it gives the national office either insight to say, Hey, what's going on or B saying, Hey, we noticed this trend. What can we do to help? What do you need? Or we're going to do this. Here's what we're going to do to kind of help this state kind of get revitalized or help some of your local churches get revitalized if needed. Are there are there term limits on state pastors, or there like like is, is it like a term, or is it just appointed until they retire? Or, uh, I think so. I think from I think if I remember, because like in Ohio, I remember when Randy Spence retired. He retired, and then and then Esther has been that in that role since. Like yeah. she was the interim, and then she became the 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 acting. Um. I believe there are term limits. I'm not sure about Ohio, but I know in Virginia, it was like there were term limits. And the thing was, is I think it was every three years, but it's not like, but I think in that way, it was more of every three years, there has to be a vote if we're going to, like everybody has to vote. But every other year, the executive team does a review and kind of says, okay, you know, everything's good. Everything's peachy. There were some concerns. We addressed these concerns, and, and that was it. And then, and, and it went from there. But every three years, you could have a switch. Um, but at the same time, like you know, and I'll take Bob. I feel Deese like that rarely happens. 
but then that's the thing. It's not like three years, and then you do a second three-year term, and then you're done, and then you have like your break. You can't do it anymore. Like like an elder board member, it's like three years vote, three years vote. But then if the same person wants to continue doing it, then they go for another three years. So it's like every three years, everyone can say like no. But then of course the fear, the fear is is okay. Well then, you know, let's say Bob Neese decides to say, or let's say you vote and. Virginia says, okay, Bob, you did a great job, but we're going to look at a different direction for the state director uh, position. Okay, who, who's going to, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And sometimes, you know, since a lot of times state directors are just regular pastors, a lot of times there's pastors who are like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm comfortable just being the complainer in the background. But then when there's an opportunity for me to actually make change or do something or be in a leadership position, eh, I'm content being the leader of my local church. I don't need to be the pastor of all the churches in the state. Um, Yeah, I I don't want to get down that huge rabbit hole. Really. <laughs> and this is only the first three questions. Right. Well, <laughs> it, any before this. <laughs> well, I just find it a little bit concerning that we don't you know, in the political world, like our government and things like that, like you would think one of the biggest complaints I think of our generation, Scott, is that there's there's not term limits. Mm. And so some of these folks have been, and even recently in the last couple of weeks, like uh, Senator Mitch McConnell in Kentucky had like, they think he had like a stroke. He was Yeah, I, for, I saw that video. He was coming out to talk to the media and he like, he just froze. And so like, I it's, I don't, it's not that he's Republican or Democrat or whatever. I'm like, I was like legitimately concerned for his health in that moment. Um, and then like there were videos that went viral the next couple of days of people talking about how old some of these folks were and that they needed to step down and retire. Um, yeah. All that to say that like term limits should be a thing. And I'm, I'm thinking the same thing within ministry culture. Well, even, even like with, um with Feinstein, like there's a, I saw I read an article that like her daughter has her, What's it called? Power of attorney. So it's like, okay, the daughter, her daughter basically has to make all the decisions for her mother, but yet her mother's still serving in Congress, making decisions for the entire country. And there's a guy that I work (laughs) with. uh, His name is Chris. He talks about this other guy. He's in the state of Iowa, I think it is. And if he runs for Senate, he's running for Senate this year. Um. And if he gets reelected and lives out his term, he'll be 97 when he's done. There's no reason for you to be in. So anyway, all that to say, like, I think that it's. um, I think it's kind of alarming. Let's just make let's use that term. It's alarming to me that we don't know numbers of plants and vacant pastorates. I mean, that can change in any given week. But all you got to do, Scott, is make a spreadsheet and share it with somebody. Yeah. And, it and, just goes and, back to the whole conversation that you and I had a couple of weeks ago. Like, people don't communicate with each other. I, and I don't know if it's because people are territorial. I don't know if it's because people just don't want to do that. I don't know if, like, the states want to be independent from, like you said, the national offices and vice versa. But, like, we should all work for the betterment of the kingdom of God. And that that's the thing that just blows my mind. It's like, why aren't we working together? Why aren't we well, wanting to be better? And I'm ranting at this point. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, and this actually goes to the last question. He answered, which was, what is your idea to get the general director to lead? 
And then they, even the other dudes like like give it to us straight. And I mean, I didn't watch the full thing what he said, but really at the front of it, he said this. Well, we need to reorganize. And we always talk about how we always have to reorganize Anderson. No, we need to reorganize the movement. We need to reorganize everything to make this a so for the general director to lead in the capacity that they need to lead to really help the movement. It's not just the, the national offices that need to reorganize. It is the entire thing. And for that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we that's that's exactly right. Because the way, especially just what we just talked about for the last, you know, however long we did, like almost 20 minutes, we see that the whole thing needs to be reorganized. Yeah, and I the don't whole thing it. needs to be reorganized. Right now, we we have a shack; it needs to be torn down, and we need to start building a mansion that actually fully functions and works well. Yeah, and I would I would say that there's a lot of resistance to that. Like oh, you said yeah. earlier, with, absolutely. With depend depend upon where this you are, would depend on the state that you serve in, and people like it's no different than the, the conversation Scott we've had about pastors' fellowship and and the national conference, and how there's always been this whole like uh, tension between te- you know between the two organizations I just mentioned. It's like you got the super conservative pastors fellowship Bible belt of the, the United States. And then you have the national office of the not national office. I'm sorry, national conference that we have uh NAC or whatever you want to call it. And it's like, Oh, they're just a bunch of liberals and they're just going to do whatever they want. And they're going to try to take over the church of God. And I'm like, well, they're your appointed leadership. So y'all need to work together. <laughs> yeah. And then and, and I'm thinking, and I think that's the thing too. The whole toxic political culture has seeped into the church. Yes. And Absolutely. the fact is, is if if I'm a flaming liberal and you're a rock hard conservative, we should be able to coexist because it's not our political things that unite us. It is our love of Jesus and our love for Christ that should unite us. And mm-hmm. going, okay, you know, it, it goes back to when I grew up. I wore the "What would Jesus do?" bracelets. I mean, what would Jesus uh. do? What would Jesus do? Hope those come back. They do. You can buy them. They're just not. I mean, they're not in Christian bookstores next to the Testament, so you can't get them anymore at the because there's no Christian bookstores out there anymore. They're all online now. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, that was kind of questions one, three, and seven. <laughs> so what, where do you want to go next? Because there's definitely well, a lot you- more. I mean, I know we can go, we can go, we can quickly blitz through the other questions, but like, do you think that that's concerning that we don't know numbers? I do. Somebody's somebody's got to know those numbers. It's concerning that, yeah, I think it is concerning that no one knows those numbers. And I mean, even if we think about Atlas being the future, which I don't buy that for one second, if I can't even get a email receipt saying that I paid for my uh, yearly membership, then how do I, um, you know, you know, then just me not getting a response email shows that that website is very flawed, that it can't do a basic thing like send me an email that I paid my dues. Mm-hmm. I mean, just being honest there. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, the next question or question number two was, Will online podcast and streaming take over from people actually visiting a church? I found this one fascinating. I did. Like, listen, yeah. I, I found, like, just listening to Jim talk about it. And 
there were some things I agreed with, some things I didn't. And, and for me, as a millennial, as somebody who's worked in churches to, to, to really push the multimedia, the agenda, not agenda, but like the multimedia uh, generation, the live streaming generation, the th like throw COVID aside for a second. Like I was doing this stuff before COVID ever happened. And then I think COVID really expedited some of that, that progress within the local church to get online, to have more of an online presence. And um, I'm amazed to this day, Scott, of how bad some products are. Now I know that things are expensive, and but there are free resources out there and there are ways to get around that and have a decent quality product online without breaking your bank or your budgeting your local church. But like, uh, you know, one of the things that Jim said that I was kind of, I don't know what the right word is. I wasn't mad about it, but like he said something in, in reference to like, uh, you know, it sounded very generational, right? It sounded very like he, he mentioned, you know, people, you know, need to be in the church, but it's great. It's a great resource for people who can't make it to church. Like if you're elderly or, or a shut in or, you know, something prevents you like illness from getting to the church. Um, and he, but he was right in the same breath about, you know, there, there's nothing like community and there's nothing like if the Holy spirit moves within the church, um, that you can't experience that online because you're not, you're not physically there. Um, I, I would push back just a little bit as somebody who's pastored and led churches. Um, I've sat on my couch and watched some of the most powerful sermons preached and I get caught up by the Holy spirit and get caught up in the moment. And I, I just start to cry because of, of, of the movement that I feel in my life in that moment. And I can do that in my car on TikTok, uh, at work on my lunch break. I can do that in Walmart's parking lot. I can do that uh, on the couch in my in my living room. Uh, there, you know, there are ways to reach people for Jesus other than sitting in a pew every Sunday, and um, that could be through the form of a podcast, through a TikTok video, through. Uh, an Instagram post through watching a church service online. I think that, like he said, he Jim also said, you know, uh, you know, that your online presence should be the gateway into the local church, which I agree. You know, if, if, if there are, uh, you know, if there are people that don't believe or they're looking for, uh, you know, a local church, the, you know, what's the first thing you do is you get online and you look and see what their website says. And if their website's decent, you know, but they're, but the website too, also Scott should portray and mimic what you see in person. Um, so, you know, a lot to say there or a lot to, you know, unpacking that just like the other questions that we cover, but like the, it's, we have to move forward. And you and I did a podcast on, communications and stuff and that was one of our best episodes mm -hmm. download wise and i'm like well that kind of proves the point that we live in a digital age and like i don't think you know my prayer is lord prove me wrong right but the i don't think churches will ever be full again like to to the degree that we saw them 
in years past. And that's not because of a pandemic or a, I just think that the church looks different now and people are meeting in their homes, which by the way, is biblical acts too. people met in their home. They broke bread. They, they met together and they did life together. Mm -hmm. Um, I, they're called small groups, but like, yeah. it, it, it's just very like, I'm not even upset with Jim or anything like that. So I'm, I'm not even trying to say that and speak out of turn or be frustrated. I, I just, I think people need to to get over themselves and get over the fact that the church and I'm talking collectively is that, you know, the church looks different in 2023 than what it, yeah. what it looked like in 1995 or, or 2002. Um, and we have to, we have to adapt to people's needs and, and, you know, Matthew 28, Jesus says to go out into all the world. And proclaim the gospel and make disciples. Yeah. Like it doesn't say you have to meet in the four walls of a church, a physical location. Like you can share the gospel to a drug addict on the side of the road. You're not in a local church when you do that. Um, and I, you know, I feel very fortunate and blessed to, to share with you every single week and talk with you. This is a ministry outlet. Mm -hmm. we, 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 we get to share our hearts and, and talk to people about topics uh, that we don't get to share in. The local church so i i'm ranting uh, and yeah. i went on a really long tangent but what did you think about what jim said about that kind of topic yeah i feel like or was i completely off base <laughs> no i mean i agree with everything you said i think the one thing that i would have to add to that is we have to remember that we went through like during the pandemic well two things let me go back two things Two things is, you know, what was the intent behind the question? Mm -hmm. Was this written by a millennial or was this written by someone who was a boomer or a Gen Xer who really does not have the capability to do an online presence with their church? And the fact is, is they're afraid that if they just go completely online, then people aren't going to come to church to A, hear the gospel, or most importantly, come to give to help support the ministries and the administrative side of the church. You know, basically, if we do everything online, then, you know, how do we connect with people on the practical side, relational side? How do we build relationships with people if they're not physically coming into our building? Second, how do we take care of the building that we have if everybody's watching online? Sometimes I feel like when that question is asked, that's usually the intent. I also think back to, you know, the huge wave of deconstruction that kind of happened like right around 2009, actually probably starting about 2016, all the way up to 2000. And even now, there's still people who I keep occasionally I'll get onto a thread of deconstruction talk where I'm watching, listening to people's stories. And it's one of those things where it's one of those things where having an online presence is going to help alleviate any fears that people are going to have when they step into your church, because the moment, because in the old ways, you probably have a new visitor come to your church. And if they're timid or nervous, like really the first time they enter through that door, was going to tell them everything about that church. If they were going to feel like this was going to be the church for them, or if they're just going to awkwardly sit, sit by 
and do everything. And a lot of times, you know, I've had people who would come to church that I'd be pastoring at, and they would be like, man, your sermon is great. Loved it. Loved the music. And I never see from them again. And a lot of times I would be looking at them and they're sitting by themselves or they go and they get early because they want to test everything out. They get there and not one person from the congregation says hi to them, or at least they may say hi to them, but they don't sit there and really engage with them and talk with them and try to, who is this person? Who are you? Like, we want to know who you are because you're a vital part of the body of Christ. Yeah. Or, or the only time they do get something is when they leave and they go, hey, thanks for coming. Come back tomorrow or come back next week. It's like the only time you talk to them was to ask them to come back to church next week. Like that's <laughs> that's not going to work. Um, yeah, I, you know, full transparency yesterday, my my wife uh, and I woke up, we got ready for church. She had kind of a headache and just didn't feel great. And so we went and like, we we're going to go get coffee and she drank some coffee before we we're going to go to church. And she's like, you know, I just don't feel good. And so I was like, well, do you just want to go home? And I was like, sure. I mean, like it, it's, it's weird because I'm not serving in a local church right now, but uh, Scott, she said something really profound to me, but like, you know, our wives have a way about that. Right. Mm -hmm. And they just, they just, she looked at me and she's like, God doesn't take attendance. And I was like, cause I kind of felt bad for not, we've finally gotten to the kind of the groove of going back to church and being involved and not, we're not serving on a weekly basis, but we're going to church and have kind of a routine. And I was like, I felt kind of disappointed that I wasn't going to get, get to go to church yesterday. And she was like, you know, God doesn't take attendance. Mm -hmm. And so I came home and our good friend, Jordan Halstead, priest at Chartel Church in Oklahoma yesterday. Yeah. And guess what I did? I watched Got his watch sermon it. online. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it's, it's you know, I... Do you remember when we were kids and we went to Sunday school and, like, they had the little books where they kept attendance? Yeah. And, like, you know, the, the, the guy would be in the back of the church counting during the service. And it's like... I feel like for so long we cared about numbers. Like, I, I, I think that you should care more about people's hearts and souls. Well, I mean, I think a lot of times the numbers drives maybe not only a personal thing, but you also have to report your numbers to Anderson so it can be printed in your book. Right. So that may be kind of a thing because, I mean, I get you. Like, I wouldn't, I don't care about attendance. Like, I remember when I took down the attendance board and actually <laughs> that's another story for another time. We won't that's get the story's that. gone wild for, for that's the, the story gone wild for next time. All right. So how are you feeling? You want to keep going through these questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So um, again, that was question number two. Question three was the church plans, which we already answered. Church uh, question number four is, do we believe in prophecy slash speaking in tongues? I think it could be a quick one. It's like, I mean, like church of God, like the joke was always when we were kids that we're not that church of God. Yeah. Right. So like church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, which is more Pentecostal version of the church that we, um, we, we're not affiliated with. We're the Church of God Anderson. They're the Church of God Cleveland, Tennessee. The way that my dad always explained it to me when I was a kid was they were very Pentecostal. They spoke in tongues. They handled snakes in some cases. They were, you know, super Pentecostal, like one of the more Pentecostal churches that existed. Um, and, you know, Jim, I think, answered it appropriately. Like, we believe in the Church of God Anderson that people can speak in tongues. Um, but there's also... Uh, an interpreter. Yes, you need an interpreter. Thank you. Um, but yeah, 
pretty straightforward. What do you think? I think so too, but I also think, you know, when I when he, when this question came up, my first response is my first response was, well, why are we addressing this? We know what we believe. But then I thought, well, wait a minute. During the findings from the Justice and Equity Task Force, there are 10% of pastors who believe in the Church of God that believe women shouldn't be in ministry. Which again hmm. conflicts with our core beliefs. So the fact that we had this question and it got answered, I think was very good. Plus, even with the speaking of tongues thing, there have been times where there have been people who would tell me that they had people in their church that said they had this gift of speaking in tongues. And instead of going like, okay, you know, do you have an interpreter? You know, here's what we believe. We believe that there should be interpretation and interpreter to interpret what you're saying, blah, blah, blah. And it's almost like because that's too much of a hassle that immediately when someone says, I would get the speaking in tongues, we say, well, we don't believe that. And, and then that person leaves leaves that church because they're like, well, this is the wrong church of God because we don't believe that, which it's like, well, we do, but there are biblical groundwork on, you know, you can't just go up and start speaking in tongues randomly and everyone just says, okay, that's cool. And then people are like, or we don't say like, well, speaking in tongues is a sign of that you are truly saved. Like other people are like, no, that's not, we don't believe that. But if you have a spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, then we want to admonish that gift, but we also want to make sure there's groundwork too. Yeah. All right. So that was a very easy one. That didn't take too long. So the fifth one, and this is probably the one that I thought was pretty comical, but it's very serious, but very comical too. He said, Fifth question, what were the good and bad surprises you had when taking on the role of general director? I don't know. I haven't been appointed general director. <laughs> the only thing, I mean, it was that was probably like one very long-winded. So mm-hmm. there was times where I zoned out. But the one thing that I thought was hilarious, especially when he talked about the one thing, is he said that, you know, the Church of God is a bunch of complaining people. <laughs> and I about died when he said that. I'm like, oh, man. Let me check the comment section, see if anybody made a comment about that. No one did, thankfully, but but frankly, it's true. Well, can I can I push back a little bit? Yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> I just want to know, like, so like what was the question again? Like as far as the, the question was, of... what were the good and bad surprises you had when taking on the role of general director? I think that people I think probably one of the biggest misconceptions is what does he actually do? Yeah. And is it too much for him to handle being one person? Because like you and I've talked about the number of churches that are all over the world and that, that are affiliated with the church of God. Like it's, it's, it's probably really hard to, uh, to balance all those things. And not only that, but then also your family life. Cause I mean, he's travels. Yes. To go visit Absolutely. churches. He travels. I know he was at one point doing his home. Like, does he still do the whole Christian broadcasting of hope the, thing? The radio, the uh, radio Christian. thing. Cause he was doing that. Like I know when he was the, when he, before he was general director, he was really into that and doing that. I know they have that podcast, like all this to say podcast or whatnot, which rolls out maybe a couple episodes every other month. So it's not like a weekly episodic podcast. Which is kind of funny because he was talking about how people need to be in church, but he can have a podcast. 
Yeah. Just saying. But, but I mean, I think some of the good he said, you know, I think the idea of just um, being in a position where you can really help people and really do something and saying, hey, here's something where I think the church, the direction church of God needs to go. So here are some things that I think would be beneficial to us as a movement and having that. Yeah, I guess having that space to be able to say that and to try to implement that, I think that's a good thing. Um, I think one of the other thing, bad things he said, too, is there's been some times where in the role of general director, he has turned off people that he probably should have listened to. Which is good that he said that and how he said, like, you know, even after as he's kind of ending his general director, ending his terms, like one of the things is like, you know, I need to kind of go back to those people and you know not only apologize but really listen to them because that was like a mistake that he made that you know there's sometimes i thought people were just being you know negative nancy's but they actually had genuine concerns and i just handled it wrong and i think i think that's kind of uh i think like with any type of leadership that's always a difficult thing to really navigate in the moment um, like I said, because like I said earlier, you know, so much of our identity is sometimes in our position, especially as pastors. And when someone starts questioning, you know, certain decisions or certain things, it's almost like you're questioning their identity and who they are. And then sometimes things that are just basic church concerns can sometimes be taken as personal. And I think it takes a lot of wisdom to differentiate between the two of what's personal and what's biz and what's, you know, what's ministry. Well, and I'm and I'm just kidding when I talk about Jim and the whole podcasting thing because, like, I knew he was pretty passionate about the whole multimedia thing before he even ever took the general director thing. He was really into radio and really into that kind of mm-hmm. audio presentation. Yeah. So the last question I thought this last question or question six, um, we did talk a little bit about question seven about the reorganization of the movement. Uh, question six is: If we have a history of equal treatment from the 1800s. Why can we not fall back on that? Why do we have to reinvent the will? Why can't we just be biblical and stop chasing social norms? Very loaded question. And I thought the way Jim approached it was very good using history from his own family. Um, history. Uh, he talked a little bit about um, prohibition age and how the church of God, especially like his great grandmother, his grandmother, was very into leading the cause for the Church of God to be very um, anti, I, I don't know, I can't even think the correct words, uh, to basically be against drinking because they have seen that, you know, drinking when not checked leads to devastation of lives and families. So that's why the Church of God kind of, in the early days, in the 1800s, like, well, you know, we need to do justice, quality for all. So, this is what we're going to do. But then Jim also said, you know, back in the 1920s, that's when we saw the KKK at its height. That's when we started seeing all these like monuments of Stonewall Jackson being erected in like the 1920s. And while all this stuff was happening and you had the KKK marching on Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, 25,000 strong wearing their hoods and everything else. At that time, the Church of God was still talking about temperance and still talking about alcohol and not really addressing the issue with race. 
while there's other people within. So he kind of talks a little bit. So needless to say, he brings that as a basis saying, you know, we are being biblical at the same time. It's not that we're chasing social norms. We have to look at how the world is changing and really look at how can the church speak to those. And he, he said something that I thought was really good. I wrote it down. He, he wrote, um, you know, we need to balance about what our families are experiencing and be an advocate for that. So if, if there's a true movement of the church of God, according to Jim Lyons, is if we're seeing our brothers and sisters are suffering from a certain injustice within our movement, then we need to advocate for them. I think what I'll say simply is that, that times change. I mean, the word of God doesn't change, but the circumstances in our times change. And what I mean by that is that, like, you know, there's just been an evolution and, and we've talked about it in the last, I don't know, year or so, Scott, but like the, the idea of mental health and a lot of, there's a lot of triggering things out there with social media, smartphones, um, worldly things, right. That are really causing struggles to, to not only pastors, but to everybody. Uh, there are, you know, people that struggle with addiction, people that struggle with mental health issues, people that struggle with, um, you know, you name it, but the, that stuff wouldn't be there without the help of technology and without the help of uh, media and, and media bias and, and things like that. So like, I'm not saying it's like a, a perfect solution or a perfect answer, but like all we can do is just continue to work on things and, and, and continue to get better. And so like, yeah, I, I agree with Jim. Like it's just this, It's back to the conversation about like people being in, in power for too long or being kind of out of touch with things. Like if you're still talking about things about the, that happened in the 1800s, then we need to have a conversation because it's like that <laughs> it's not, um, it's not relevant, relevant to what, what's going on in today's world and culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, some things are. I, I mean, like, it's a shame that we're still having conversations about racism in 2023. Um, this should just be, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, there are several topics, like, that are still being, you know, that's that's a long time ago. Like, why are we still having those issues? We should be better than that. So. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I mean, yeah, I think that's. I mean, I would give an example, like with all the stuff that happened with the with the um, George Floyd and and all those people who are being shot in police brutality, like Virginia kind of initiated a study that kind of talked about race in America, kind of where we are and kind of the experience. And actually, you know, Virginia years ago kind of voted to separate because you had like your white churches and your black churches and they're two different entities. So they're like, well, we're just going to be one entity now. So we did have the opportunity to be having that, those candid and, and honest discussions about race and their experiences and talk about it. And I think for a lot of people, people listen and received it. I know there are some people who were very, I don't know if it's a Southern thing or what, but they would nod their head and say, oh, okay, okay. And then later they go, well, I don't understand what they were saying. It's like, why don't you ask them like in the moment? Like, 
Like, I know there was one woman who says that she feels like she's discriminated every single day. It's like, okay. And everyone just kind of nod their head like, oh, yeah, we understand that. And it's like, well, then they're talking to me like, I don't understand that. It's like, well, you have to ask her what you what, what she means by that. Like, because I don't know. I mean, for me, I can tell you what I think she means by that just based on my experience and from the stuff I've read. But again, I'm not a black woman, so I don't know to the core what she means that she feels like she's discriminated every day by being a black woman in, in the South or a black woman in America. Because I'm not a black woman. Yeah. And you don't want me to be. So, is that so all the questions all, we had? Those were, those were all okay. the questions. So, I know the, the first... Uh, Number one, number three, and number seven were our long-winded ones, but everything else we kind of went through very quickly. But I know Jim did say he's going to bring a couple more, have a couple more town hall um, interviews. Because I know he, before he still had a pile of like note cards that had questions on him that he still didn't even got to yet. So I'm sure we'll be seeing some more town halls eventually. And then after that, um, and you could be you could be sure, maybe unless Mike and I are on vacation, not together, but separately. <laughs> but, could you imagine all the podcasts we could record if we went on vacation somewhere together? That's what, that's what, you know, we'll go on that Creed cruise next year. You and me, we'll go see Creed and all those 90, 2000, like, rock bands, and we'll do a podcast while we're on the Creed cruise. <laughs> With arms wide open. So, anyway... But when we do have another town hall, but Jim does another town hall, uh, we'll be back on to kind of do a summary of those events and kind of give our thoughts on that take. So, friends, thank you so much for listening to Scott 7 Podcast. I hope you have a good week, um, and we'll be back on with another episode. Take care.